then we will invite our new pastor to the pulpit and let him do whatever the Lord has given him to do for today. Yes, sir. Thank you. <laughs> Amen. I am so incredibly honored, humbled, and excited for this day. It's been a day that I've dreamed about for years and years and years, and uh, did not expect that God would move so quickly, did not expect that he would give us everything that we could have ever hoped to imagine. I should have. I'm a preacher. I should expect those great things to happen, and we are just so grateful to all of you, to all that God has been doing, and we love, we love, we love that we didn't strive for this opportunity. It's a story written by God, and we are so grateful to be a part of it. It's about 10 years ago when I read a book called uh, God's Generals, uh, written by the people at uh, CFNI, and they share a story of revivalists and mighty men and women of God that were used in, in all centuries. And one of those people was Amy Simple McPherson. And I said, who is this lady? And I began to read her biography. I, I read every single book that I could, even got an original copy of her first book from 1923 uh, in my library. And I just fell in love with her story, with her passion, discovered she invented a denomination called the Foursquare. I said, oh, that's cool. I saw when she created Life, uh, uh, the academy, the school, the Bible college. And I said, wow. And I discovered back in 2010 that that school still existed. And I was in need of finishing my bachelor's. And it just led me onto this journey. And every single Foursquare church I've ever been to, I've fallen in love with the people. I'm still great friends with pastors from San Diego to Houston, Katy, uh, San Antonio. And it seems like every family in the Foursquare has been everything that we have dreamed of. Whether that's just the love of God, whether that's believing for signs, wonders, and miracles, believing the power of the Holy Spirit, and seeing God's word wanting to go forth and transform lives. And so I'm so grateful that finally, after 20 years of full-time ministry, I can officially call myself a four-square pastor, and I have a four-square family. <laughs> I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait to meet all of y'all. I got my church directory. I'm going to be sending y'all a ton of text messages, and I've already had lunch with, with a few of you, and, and uh, very grateful for that, and I can't wait to meet all of you, hear your stories, meet your families, and uh, I warn you, I'm a hugger, and so uh, for all those who are on Zoom, um, God bless you too, and I can't wait to meet you, and I warn you as well, I'm a hugger, so if you don't want me to hug you, just put your hand out, and I, I can respect your COVID and all that deal, but... I can't wait. I'm so excited. And you know, on a, on a personal, uh, selfish type of a level, um, a couple weeks ago, I officially turned 37 years old. And so some of y'all think that's old and some of you think I'm just a baby, okay? <laughs> and uh, 37, and the reason that's significant to me is because King David was anointed as a teenager, king over Israel. But for 20 years, he was hiding from wicked Saul, hiding in caves and built up his mighty men, men that were able to take down giants. You see, David took down Goliath, but there was also four other giants. Goliath had some brothers. And those four other giants were killed by David's mighty men. So he was doing a good work. But it wasn't until 20 years after he was anointed by Samuel, 20 years later, which most scholars think it was at the age of 37, that he rightfully took the throne. And so I just, I was praying all last year. I said, God, you know, every year I'm believing you for something great. Every year that you give me a new year of life, I'm expecting you to speak to me and to bless us and my family and, and, and just to show your way. And I said, but 37 for some reason just means something special to me. You know, my last church assignment, I, I was youth pastor and associate and uh, in a totally different denomination I've never been in and don't still fully understand. 
And I said, God, 37 is coming up, and I don't know what you have in store. I had no idea that on my actual birthday, I would get news that, that we accepted the position here. And so I'm, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> you guys are stuck with me, and I plan to be here for a very long time. I'm declaring and praying uh, that God would have this be my final ministry, and that until I retire, that I can minister here and bless. And, and I can't wait to, to officiate your kids' weddings, and I can't wait to dedicate babies, and I can't wait to walk through the, the tough times in life, the great seasons, the testimonies, the supernatural miracles. God has big plans for Southgate Fellowship. And I'm so glad that there's a wonderful group of people here who believes as well. And I will have that in my office. I cannot wait to make something awesome to fit that on onto the credenza there. And I will look at that as a blessing every single day that I have it there. So thank you. Thank you so very much. And today, um, <laughs> so much I could say, so much I can say, um, but I just, I really paused and calmed my spirit and said, Father, I just want to, I want to bring a right now word. I know I can share my vision. I know I can share my history. I know I can talk about a lot of things that maybe the church wants to hear. But for the first Sunday, I felt like he just wanted to give me a right now word. And I'm not sure she's still in here. Was your name Kathy? Yes. And your word specifically, I think is right on uh, to what God has for us today, because I believe he wants to share kingdom courage that God is able kingdom courage, that we should not have any fear because of how able our God really is. So let's go ahead and pray, and then I'll deliver what the Lord has put on my heart. So Father, thank you again so much for this incredible opportunity. Thank you, God, for my new spiritual family here. Thank you, God, for the rich history and the legacy of Southgate. And thank you, God, for the many years ahead, the great things that you want to do in and through this church Father, we are not afraid of politics. We're not afraid of new, crazy, evil laws. We're not afraid of how our society is going. We don't fear that they say the next generation will be a godless generation, not when there's a church that is alive and well, not when all of heaven is shouting out for revival. And God, we want to partner with you, and we want you to speak to us and use us and manifest through us. So, Father, as we open up the scriptures today, we are asking for a supernatural courage, a, a bravery to be your people, to, to be your ambassadors, to be your mouthpiece into a world that desperately needs to hear about your love and your power. So we pray you go before us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, as I mentioned, I am 37, which means uh, in the middle of the 90s, I was still in school. So I'm sorry if, if uh, some of you are well beyond school years at that point. But in the mid-90s, there were some really big athletes. Michael Jordan was huge. Tiger Woods was getting started and, and uh, changing the whole game of golf completely. And everybody was wearing the jerseys, and everybody was talking about all these great accomplishments. And one day, I forget which class it was, but we had this uh, about 85-year-old substitute teacher come on in. And he opened up the class not talking about the subject whatsoever. He opened up the class saying that Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, Mike Tyson were not superstars. They were average athletes. And you hear this rumble, all these boys and girls like, what are you talking about, old man? You don't know what you're talking about. You're off your rocker. They're the best athletes ever in history. He's like, they're average. And he, this, is, this was his logic. He said that because so many other athletes played so below average that the ones who were average look like superstars. Your job is to put the ball in the hole. 
Your job is to hit that little thing into the hole and then you win. Your job is to shoot and make the basket. You get paid millions of dollars to play a game and you should be the greatest, but so many are just average. So many just, you know, they miss, they, they, they don't play to their full capabilities, they get in trouble with the law, they, they go through life's issues, and they don't play at their top tier. So the ones who are just doing their job and not even doing it at the best are considered superstars, but in his eyes, they were simply average. And all these years later, I can only think of what if that is a, a, an image of the church of Jesus today? What if the Billy Grahams and the Joyce Myers and the Amy Simple McPhersons, as much as we love them, were just simply doing their job, being evangelists and missionaries and, and healers and, and, and just preachers for the gospel and doing it with their whole heart, but because the majority of Christianity just wants to be spoon-fed I'm going to go to the mega churches where the air conditioning is perfectly at 68 and they have something for my child in first grade and second grade and third grade. And, and the preacher, he's okay, but he's not funny enough. So we'll just go down the road to another church where they have cooler colors and a warmer atmosphere and, and the preacher's a little bit funnier and they only preach for about 20 minutes. So I can get to lunch on time and, and we just kind of passively go on. But you and I, we were put on planet earth for such a time as this for such a short amount of time to let all of heaven work in our hearts and that we can be the actual spokesperson of God himself to a world that is on its way to hell. We, we have a glorious call upon our lives, but we can't waste our years. We can't sit back idly as the world dies around us. We can't simply be complainers and not move in compassion and watch God work within us. And so my heart today is to help us understand that God's kingdom requires courage, not passivity, but bravery. God's kingdom requires courage and, and saints that know who they are. They know the authority they have in Christ. They know the identity that's been given to them. They know that the devil has been defeated and will not be distracted by that. And to know that this earth shall be as, as Jesus himself declared on earth as it is in heaven. To see his kingdom expanded. When God put Adam and Eve on planet earth, it wasn't just to have a, a resort town to live in for the rest of their lives. He said, be fruitful and multiply. That didn't just mean have a lot of babies. That, that's the multiply part. But he also said, be fruitful. He created a heaven on earth, no sin, no separation, no sickness, no sorrow, no shame, none of that thing. And he said, and I want you to expand my kingdom until it covers the entire earth. We had a little hiccup. It's when they ate a fruit that they shouldn't have eaten. And it set us back a little bit with sin all throughout the Old Testament. But family, that call of God is still on our lives to expand the kingdom of God that all can see and know that there's a God in heaven that loves them and is able and is powerful. So the question I have for us this morning is simply this, that what price are we paying when we live without courage? What price are we paying when we live without bravery in the Holy Spirit? To think that there was somebody that the Lord was nudging on our hearts to talk to at Starbucks, but because we were afraid of what we would look like, or what they would think of us, or think that we're totally crazy because we're at a coffee shop, supposed to be drinking coffee, but we want to tell them something we heard from heaven <laughs> to share to them. What, what about the person in the hospital that we felt like, I should probably pay a visit and lay hands on them, but we were too afraid, or we got too busy, or we were too preoccupied, or too distracted? What about the homeless person that really could have had his whole life turned around? If there was somebody willing to just say, here's a couple dollars, 
but here's an opportunity and a way out. What price are we paying when we're only focused on ourselves, when we only care about ourselves, when we just want to be comfortable all the time, and we're afraid? There should be no place in the Christian's heart for fear. When a God of heaven has overcome it all, even death, to give us a freedom, to give us a power. And so I'm excited, and I want to share uh, uh, probably the greatest example of what an action of kingdom courage really looks like. If you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 14. One thing you will know as your new pastor is I will always crack this big old Bible open. And I will read a lot of verses. (laughs) I love the word of God. I actually bought a brand new Bible. So every single highlight that is in this Bible is what God has put on my heart for this church alone. And I'm excited. And and, uh, the very first scripture I will share with us today comes out of one of my favorite books of the Old Testament, 1 Samuel. So much is packed in there. We know in 1 Samuel 17, we have the story of David and Goliath. Wonderful story. We know it. We, we teach our children. It's probably the first lesson we teach them in kids' church. But before David had his moment with Goliath, there was a story about Jonathan that always gets overlooked, overshadowed by Goliath. And I love it so much because it, it's, it's a cry of my heart, and I feel it's such an encouragement and, and such an inspiration for the believer today. So let's go First uh, Samuel 14. Um, if you have an electronic version of the Bible, uh, I always read out of the New American Standard, so you can uh, look that up on your device. If you have your regular Bible, read it in the way that you love. So chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 6, and this is a story of Jonathan, Saul's son, who is in the camp with the Israelites, who are terrified of the Philistines, and they won't do anything. They have God's favor. They have the manifest presence of God in the ark. They have everything that goes before them. They have all of heaven on their side, and they're shaking in their sandals because they're afraid of these giants, these Philistines, and they won't do anything about it. Well, Jonathan takes it on his own to do something about it. So beginning in verse 6, then Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, come and let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us, for the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. I'm going to pause real quick there. I love how Jonathan, he says, something's wrong. This isn't right. We are the champions. They are the losers. We need to do something about this. And he says, let's go over to those uncircumcised, meaning out of covenant with God. So he didn't say, let's go over there to those guys and see if maybe we can win. He says, let's go over to the losers and let's finish what we started. I love the confidence that he has. He knows that I'm, uh, I'm in, in the anointing of God. I'm a child of God. They are not. I have a covenant with the Lord. They do not, meaning I have the upper hand. They don't. And then he says, and what, what could stop the Lord? Nothing could stop him. We, we can go into the worst situation ever, but if God be for us, who can be against us? In verse 7, his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Turn yourself and I am with you according to your desire. Then Jonathan said, behold, we will cross over to the men and reveal ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand in our place and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up. For the Lord has given them into our hands, and this shall be a sign to us. And I love the freedom that the scriptures give to us to ask God, show me a sign, confirm with me something. I'm going to lay out the fleece and see if it truly is you. I think there's great responsibility and and great wisdom and saying, God, I want a way to know for certain that it's you, but not wait too long. Then verse 11, 
When both of them revealed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Behold, Hebrews are coming out of the holes they have hidden themselves. So the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will tell you something. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me. The Lord has, look at that past tense, the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. I pray you have that type of confidence. The Lord has healed me. By his stripes, we were healed, not are going to be healed. It's that past tense of what God has accomplished on the cross. And so he says, all right, I got my confirmation. God is in this. God, you had me at hello. We're going. Even though that means climbing hand over hand up to the enemies. Now, if you're interested in war at all, you know you want the high ground. If you have the high ground, that means you got a better advantage to take out the enemy. But they said, we're going to take the worst position possible and we're going up because God has delivered us. Verse 13, and only two more verses here. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and his feet with his armor bearer behind him, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer put some to death after him. That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about a half a furrow in an acre of land. And there was a trembling in the camp, in the field, and among the people, even the garrison of the Las Vegas Raiders, if you are a Las Vegas Raider fan, here's your biblical proof that football is of the Lord. It says the Raiders, they tremble and the earth quaked so that it became a great trembling, a great trembling. So it was a mighty victory that day because of Jonathan in an act of bravery. Jonathan, there's so much in this. I mean, we could turn this into a whole series and talk for hours and hours and hours on just this story alone. But I love so much that Jonathan was sitting in a place where he knew we were supposed to be champions. And what I call a holy discontent rose up in him. You ever get a righteous anger, a holy discontent that says things are not as they should be? If God's people would just rise up, things could be different around here. And Jonathan had is like, what are we doing? Just sitting on our hands, doing nothing while the losers are over there triumphing and making fun of us. In fact, some of the uh, Hebrews who were with Israel, they got so sick and tired of losing, they said, well, if we can't beat them, let's join them. And some Hebrew brothers traded their own family and went to go be in camp with the enemies. And Jonathan's sitting around like, you know what? If you're not going to do anything about this, I will. I will. But he didn't just say, I'm mad and I'm going to go do something. We should never have a knee-jerk reaction and go off of emotion alone. He says, no, I want a vision. And he he had a vision for what a victory could look like. He had a vision of, I know who I am, and I know who they are, and I know who I have, and I I know that they don't have him. He had a vision. Then he did another very wise thing, and I believe all of us should do this, and that is he didn't go alone. He didn't try to fix his own problem. He didn't try to work it all out on his own strength and his own knowledge and talent. He said to his armor bearer, which an armor bearer is with you to the death, all right, they will fight with you until the death. And he says, will you, I have nobody else, but at least between you and me, where two or more are gathered, there he is in the midst of them. And if we are together, that's a community. And so I pray that if, if you have a holy discontent and you've got a vision for what God wants to do in your life and around you, do it with other people you love. Do it with other brothers and sisters in the faith. And he went with community. And because of that, they were rewarded a victory. That day, Not only did we see the losers actually lose and run for their lives, but it resurrected courage 
in the hearts of the other Hebrews. One single act of bravery ignited a revival amongst God's people to finish the work of what they needed to do. God is good, and he still wants to do those things today. And so I want to encourage us here this morning on a few things that will help us to fear not. (laughs) I've heard people say that in the scriptures, there's over 365 verses on fear, meaning every single day we have a new encouragement on how to fear not. But today I want to encourage us. So if you are taking some notes, I've got a few things here I want to bless you with. The first is that we have a reason to fear not because God is with us. We can let go of fear Because we know the one who invented the universe is called our Father, and he is with us always. I love in in Psalm 139, where we we hear about the presence of God, and and the, the psalmster says, where can I flee from your presence? If I am up in heaven, you are there. Even if I make my bed in hell, you are there. There is no place that we can escape the presence of God. We, we may turn our backs to God in sin and, and our own agenda and our own pride, but God will never turn his back to us. And isn't it funny how we could be face to face with God in intimacy, but we can turn our backs to him in sin. And we try to just drift away from God, but he's kind of like this. He's like that, that new puppy that you just bought. They will never leave you alone. You can't even go to the bathroom in peace, you know, or if you have a toddler, you know what's happening there. Constantly, that's God. And the moment that we come to our senses and realize that we are not alone, it's the moment we turn back in intimacy. It's the moment we see him face to face of a God who's never deserted us. So you can be in the middle of your worst fear ever in your life. You could be overcome by the worst dread and anxiety and so forth. But when you come to your senses, that's when you feel the loving arms of the Father around you. And that's where you can turn back to where your focus should have been the entire time. And that's the very presence of God. But it takes us to have the discipline to put our focus back where it needs to be. It takes us to pause. There is such a power in pausing. Sometimes when I'm training uh, interns or uh, younger believers on, on the craft of preaching, I correct a few things. Sometimes they have a mannerism of putting their hands in their pocket, or sometimes they do the swaying things, or sometimes they just stay anchored to the pulpit and they won't move anywhere, or they won't look at anybody because they're afraid of eye contact. But one of the biggest things is the ums and the yeah, so you know, filler words, right? Or they talk too fast. And I say, don't be afraid of pausing in a sermon. You're delivering the word of God and then you pause. Nobody knows what to do with silence. (laughs) Pause is powerful. So you're going about your day and you got a million errands to do and you got a, a whole to-do list and you got to get the kids off to school and then off to soccer practice and you want to watch your favorite TV show and then you're distracted by your phone and you're sitting there, how was I on social media for three hours? And your day is just going and we forget to pause. We forget to recognize the presence of God. I like to call it this, that we turn our affections back onto the Father. You know, you, you, you find yourself so busy and you kind of feel calloused not so sensitive to his presence. The moment that you don't feel yourself in the sensitivity of the presence of God, take a, take a five-second time out. Take a five-minute vacation multiple times in the week. And I say, Father, may you lavish your presence and your love upon me right now. May I tangibly feel the substance of your love. Warm my heart again to you, God. Help me to be overwhelmed in your presence now so that when I open my eyes, I can see things through your perspective. 
we have to pause and recognize the power of God and know that we are never alone. Know that we are never alone. Matthew 10, 19, when the disciples are worried about future persecution and martyrdom and, and preaching the word of God, Jesus so lovingly encourages them and says, you don't have to worry about a thing for the spirit will give you in the moment what you need to say. He is your comforter. He is your teacher. And we have even greater of an abundance of that. We have a, a world computer system in our phones. We have access to scriptures and study and sermons and, and teachings and, and training. And we have so much more than the first century believer. But one thing is for certain, for all eternity, we will have the presence of God. The second thing and why we should fear not is to know that we are fully equipped. You are fully equipped. You came fully loaded when you gave your life to the Lord. I remember about 10 years ago, I uh, was uh, driving down a main road in our city, and I'm waiting at the, the traffic light, and I'm probably driving like a 2007 Ford Focus. Nothing to be flashy about. I'm actually, this is how I know I'm getting 37 years old. I was talking to my wife the other day about getting a minivan. <sighs> I used to drive a 4x4 lifted Silverado 2500 that can yank out a tree in one swipe, right? And now I'm looking at minivans, okay? So I love powerful cars. And one day I'm sitting at the traffic light and I see this brand new Chevrolet Corvette Z06. Now this was 10 years ago. They're even greater now. But back then, that's when they came out with the LS7 that has over 500 horsepower. I'm talking zero to, three, uh, zero to 60 miles an hour in three seconds. I mean, this thing is so fast and so high tech, it has a pressurized engine so that way the oil can actually get to all the parts that need to go. Some people are just looking at me all glassy-eyed. <laughs> Some ladies are like, why do you need a car that fast? I mean, it can go 90 miles an hour in second gear. And some of y'all thinking, why do you need something that can go that fast? Well, why do you need a purse that costs $500? Leave us alone, okay? It's cool. It's an awesome car. And so I hear the rumble. And you know, there's a difference between those little Honda Civics with that nasty exhaust, aluminum can-sounding exhaust, and then you have a real engine, American muscle, that comes cruising alongside that rumble, and you feel it. You're like, oh, yes, Jesus. Glory to God. <laughs> and I see this thing cruising up to me, and I'm not joking you. Not joking you. There's a handicapped placard on the mirror, and there says complete white hair, oh, little old lady behind the wheel. Okay? <laughs> and no offense if you're a, a little old lady with white hair who drives a Corvette, go on with your bad self. Okay? <laughs> but I just looked and I thought, hmm, I bet you the grandma is not going zero to 60 in three seconds anytime soon. <laughs> in fact, when we pulled out the line, she was probably going five miles an hour in this incredible engine and powerhouse of a monster of a car. And something inside my little boy heart just broke. I said, that, that Corvette will never live up to its potential. That poor little Corvette, just you got to feed some speed to your, your monster every now and then. It probably wasn't going to happen. And I think that as, as cheesy as that illustration is, that many of us believers forget to realize how powerful we are in God, how fully equipped we are with all of heaven, how much God can actually use us and we step into our full potential. Right. Ephesians 1.3 says that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Matthew 10, 8, Jesus gave us all authority to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, and, and cleanse the lepers. In Romans, it tells us that in, in chapter 8, verse 11, it's the same power that rose Christ from the dead lives in us. 
2 Corinthians 9.8 says, you have the grace of Jesus Christ to abound in every good work. We are fully loaded, fully equipped, given everything from heaven to completely see revival unfold in our land. But just like an amazing Corvette, where if you've ever gotten a brand new car, maybe that'll be me in a minivan, you get an owner's manual. Okay, let's see the first thing about the wonderful world of minivans. And you start learning, you know, the fancy technology and what the glove box can do and what this can do and, and how to, where, where's the jack stored. And you learn everything about that car. So you know what you fully have and you can fully utilize it. We have a manual. We have an owner's manual. We have the scriptures to teach us and show us. Yeah. You know, that, that, old, that old song, you know, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Sometimes we got to stop being adults and be a kid again and believe what, what they sing since we were just little babies. That is, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I believe it with all of my heart. And so I encourage you, if, if you're struggling with fear, get your nose in that book. Get specific questions asked to God. Say, God, I'm dealing with this fear. Why? Show me, reveal to me in your word how I can change this. I'm fully equipped. I should not fear. God, you are with me. And God, you've given me all of heaven. Why am I afraid? And then the last thing here, if you're taking notes, we have a reason to fear not because we have a supernatural answer. We have a supernatural answer. I mean, do we realize that we are supernatural children of God? Meaning God won't just make a, a logical way, you know, bless your, your, your husband who's going into surgery, bless the physicians, may they have complete wisdom and favor upon you, all the paperwork, everything necessary in that hospital. That's an answer. You're broken. You can't figure out how to pay your bills and all of a sudden a surprise check comes in the mail or that stimulus pops in your account. That's a great answer. But even beyond all the wonderful logical answers in our world, you and I have supernatural answers. The scriptures say in 1 John 4.18 that perfect love casts out fear. Amen. And let me, let me remind you here today that fear is not an emotion. You don't cast out an emotion. You cast out demons. Yeah. You cast out evil spirits. You say, get away. You have no place here. Yeah. And so it's God's love that completely dispels the fear that's in our lives. And that's a supernatural thing. And what I love that, that Jesus says to his disciples, stop holding on to me. Stop clinging to me. I'm here to die. I'm here to exchange everything that, that you have and give you everything that I have. The grace of Jesus Christ is your healing, your salvation, your forgiveness, your deliverance, your prosperity. He says, I'm here to give you all that. But if I don't leave you, the scriptures say in John, if I don't leave you, the Holy Spirit can come. And he is your teacher. He is your comforter. He is your encourager. He is the one that will fill you with power from on high. And we have supernatural answers, supernatural answers. Um, I want to conclude with a, a challenge and also an incredible encouragement. I found out a few years ago, um, a friend of mine who worked for the FBI, which is cool. You know, you got a friend that works for the FBI. That's pretty awesome. But he told me, and I didn't know this, and I don't know if you knew this, that the FBI have psychics on staff. Did you know that? So if they have somebody who is missing or they have a cold case and they can't figure it out, they have evil side of supernatural help. They actually have psychics that they say, hey, can you tune into your juju or whatever you guys do and, and see if you can see anything? I said, what? They, like, we need prophets of God on staff at the FBI, right? 
And I remember, I'm like, I wonder if that's ever happened before. And I, I went on and I listened to a podcast. It was all about um, being equipped and trained in the supernatural ministry, in the spirit-filled ministry, the gifts of the spirit. And there was a story that happened right down here in Houston area. And there was a guy, just a normal pastor, and he was driving on the freeway and instantly he got a vision. There's this big building off to the side of the freeway. And in this vision, he saw about 10 young girls chained. And it struck him, and he could not lead this. And so he goes, okay, God, and here's the dilemma. This, these are those moments where you're stuck. Should I obey God even though I'm scared? Or should I try to forget about it so that way I can comfort myself? And in that moment, he decided on one act of bravery, one act of bravery. And he made a phone call, anonymous phone call. You could do this. And he said, hey, I just had this weird hunch that there's something bad going on in this building. So the authorities went and there was a warehouse in the front, but they noticed a secret door in the back. And when they broke down that door, they found 10 young women chained up, exactly as he saw it in his vision. Okay, we have supernatural help and supernatural answers. You know, prophecy is simply hearing something from heaven and then using our vocal cords to actually declare it here on earth. And this man took that one opportunity. It's like that old, uh, that old little movie, you may have seen it, called We Have a Zoo or We Bought a Zoo. And this little boy, he, he had a little crush on this other girl, and he was talking to his dad. He's like, I don't know how to talk to her. And he goes, son, you just need three seconds of courage. Just three seconds of courage. Just go there before you can change your mind. I want to encourage you. Take three seconds of courage. If God drops something in your heart, if he pushes you onto something, if there's a ministry waiting, if there's a dream that, that has been dormant for so many years, take those moments of a moment of courage and bravery in God and see what he will do. You might be amazed at what God can do in your life. That child who has backslidden, that sickness you've been tolerating for too long, when you take that moment of bravery and agree with heaven and believe what God can do, powerful things can happen. Let me finish finally. I know that, that's the preacher's biggest lie. I'm in conclusion. Don't believe that. Okay. <laughs> um, but here in, in 1 Samuel 14, in verses 20 and 21, there is something so powerful. And I hope you, you don't miss this here this morning. Now, there was a great victory. The Philistines were running, hightailing it. The Hebrews, they stood up and they said, wow, the enemies are running. Let's go chase them too. And they, they stepped into their authority. But take a look at this. I'll actually start back in verse 20. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and came to the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was very great confusion for the enemies. Verse 21. Now the Hebrews, who were with the Philistines previously, who went up all around the camp, even they also turned to be with Israelites, who were with Saul and with Jonathan. Wait, do you see that? The ones that said, I don't want to keep losing with the Hebrews. So forget you guys, I'm going to go over to the enemy, and even though I'm a Hebrew, even though I'm an Israelite, I'm going to hang out with the Philistines, and they encamped with the enemy. But when they saw the supernatural bravery of Jonathan, something broke in their hearts. Something broke in their hearts and said, that's who I really am. And it says that they left the enemy, and they went back to who they truly were. Imagine what happens when you have supernatural bravery the miracles and the transformation that can happen in your family, in your friends, in your workplace, in your school, all around you when you believe that God is able. Amen. So Father, I bless my friends here today, God, and I thank you. 
I thank you that we are called Christians, that we have a gospel to proclaim, that we have the God of all the universe who declares he is Father. Thank you, God, that we are never alone. Thank you that you have given us all things that we need from heaven. Thank you that no matter what we face, there is a God who is able and a Holy Spirit who gives us power. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus right now, I just cast out and displace any fear. May anxiety go in the mighty name of Jesus. May depression bow at the Father. Father, may you bring about that peace that transforms all understanding as 1 Peter 5, 7 declares that we have your peace because you care for us. And Father, as that fear goes, and, and there's many right now actually tangibly feeling a fear displaced, a tightening of the chest loosing and going. Some of you are experiencing right now the tangible presence of God, liquid love from heaven. Some of you right now are experiencing a manifest presence that you may have gone days or weeks without. So Father, now in this moment, may you speak to us. May you resurrect dreams. May you fortify. May you bring confidence. May you remind us, bring scriptures now in the name of Jesus. Scriptures, individual words to every one of the saints here. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the healing that's upon our bodies. Thank you for the prosperity that's in our lives. Thank you for the deliverance that we will continually receive. We ask now that you go before us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, I pray you are blessed today. And as we go about uh, that you go in God's favor. And uh, if you do have a pen or if you have a cell phone at hand, I want to give you my, my cell phone number so that you guys can contact me as we launch into our very first week together. Uh, it is weird because it's still my San Diego area code, so bear with me on that one. But my uh, cell phone number is 760-703-2075. One more time, that's 760-703-2075. I cannot wait to get to know you guys. So let me pray for your day and then we'll be about. Father, thank you so much for my friends here. Thank you for all that has taken place here today what we can sense in the physical, but God, what you are doing in the spirit as well. So bless our week. May your favor go before us. May you continually speak to us and meet us in a powerful and an intimate way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you, family.